Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About? presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. My name is Bob. As always, I'm hanging out talking sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much. Uh, high school football wrapped up, at least for Lorraine County, last Friday. Uh, both of our local teams lost in what we would call the regional semifinals, so the second round of the five-round state tournament. So, unfortunately, if, if they had both won, they would have played for the right to go to the state semifinals, which would have been kind of cool, but unfortunately, it was not meant to be. I think a lot of people maybe know Glenville with Ted Ginn Sr., I think more people, even outside of Ohio, might have heard of that program. They beat one of our teams, and uh, it was kind of a sad story because the really good quarterback for the team, Glenview, Bill, beat, uh, didn't play because of a shoulder injury, and he's one of the best quarterbacks in the state. Could have changed the game, but anyway, that's kind of what I was doing last weekend and uh, transitioning over to high school basketball now. Yeah, but we are talking about professional football and we're going to throw in some college football at the end uh you know the last time we had a big nfl debate it was about how impressive the broncos looked when they beat down green bay they were undefeated at that point green bay was also undefeated Uh, since then it hasn't gone well for either team and let's start with the broncos uh 0-2 since that green bay game and this sunday uh, that just passed uh, Peyton Manning got benched, was 5 for 20 uh, for four interceptions and 35 yards. Ended up losing to the Chiefs 29 to 13. News is coming out that Peyton has a partially torn plantar fasciitis, which is that uh, ligament that stretches all across the bottom of your foot. Apparently, a partial tear is the worst kind of injury you could have. Uh, it's more painful than a full tear, which I don't understand that, but. Uh, I don't want to really find out the difference because both sound painful to me. But Peyton Manning got benched for Brock Osweiler in this game. Uh, it's kind of sad, very sad. Chris, is this the end of Peyton? Are they going forward with Osweiler for the rest of the year? They might be. I don't know if Manning will come back or not. But when you look at that line, 5 for 20, 35 yards, four interceptions, no, that was not Brock Osweiler's line. That was Peyton Manning's line. And he started the game. He broke Brett Favre's record. That was about the only thing that went right for him and the Broncos in that game. He clearly was not himself. I didn't watch the whole game because of the whole national television thing. I didn't get the game. But I saw enough of the highlights. He's not himself. And it's the same problem. It was the same concern we had after seeing him last year. Around this point in the season, the hits added up. And he started getting injured. And he limped into the playoffs and played terrible against a team that the Broncos should have beaten, the Indianapolis Colts, had he been just not even 100%, even 80%, 90%. And I think that's the problem with Peyton Manning right now is he's old. His body's betraying him. And you're right, it is sad because he is a legend of the game. He's going to go down as one of the greatest to ever play. Where you exactly rank him, we're not going to get into that debate because it doesn't matter. He's one of the greatest to ever play the game. And to see someone like that break down, it is sad because Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, I don't want to bring Brady into this, but the two of them have defined my football generation. You know, I grew up with those two guys. That's Those are my first really strong memories of football is these two going head to head. When I was in high school, even a little bit before then, I think you would agree with me on that. Um, not to say that I didn't like watching Drew Bledsoe growing up or Brett Favre in his prime, but I don't remember them as clearly. I remember Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, some of my first football memories, and they have defined my football watching lifetime. And to see one of them probably, maybe not for the last time, but I I would bet after this season for the last time, it's, it's sad because, you know, you don't see guys like this very often in any sport. And you start to look back at his career and and wonder, man, I mean, I I saw that. You know, you kind of wish you could get one more game of him in his prime. Certainly. If this is the end, I think it's a terrible way to go out. I wish that uh, even if he were to lose in the playoffs, I would would be okay with that. Uh, For it to end like this, it's very sad. Um, This is the result of 
what has been brewing with the Denver Broncos. We know they have a great defense. We knew coming we knew that coming into this year. We also knew that Peyton probably was going to be as vulnerable as ever heading into this year and that he needed a good run game. And during these two losses combined, they rushed the ball 30 times over the course of these two games in against the Colts and the Chiefs. Neither time did they get over 100 yards. They just got stuffed. And that has kind of been the issue for these Broncos the whole time is that the run game was just never there to support Peyton and to take the ball out of his hands where they could just pound the ball down the throats of these defenses. They've had they've been forced to throw, forced to throw 36 times against the Colts. He threw 20 times in the first half against the Chiefs. I mean, uh, yes, it's it's an issue that is is solely Peyton Manning's issue. But if the offensive line were stronger, if that run game was more stout he might be upright still and he might be able to give them a little bit of Peyton magic that we've seen him been able to uh, pull out of his hat every so often this year, kind of go back and turn back the clock for a few plays. Now though, he's beat up. His arm looks terrible. He's got a tear in his foot. I really do think it's done and it's sad because, uh, you know, you texted me earlier that this this Broncos defense is the greatest defense Peyton Manning has ever had, and now he can't even throw the ball for them. Yeah, I want I want to bring up two points though, and I'm not um, disagreeing with you. The run game has struggled all year. I think part of the reason they hadn't run the ball a lot the last two games is because the Colts and the Chiefs both jumped on them very early, and when that happens, you're forced to throw. Again, I think that's a problem because this Broncos team should not throw the ball a lot. And I know that's contrary to Peyton Manning, but they need to take pressure off him with the run game so they can't put themselves in a position where they're down early. Which brings me to another point I want to make. This defense the last couple games has not been exactly shut down. I mean, we're talking about a Chiefs team that's pretty deficient offensively. I mean, look, you know, Santos, they held him to like, what, another 10 field goal game or something like that? Or no, I mean, seriously, you only kicked five. But you get what I'm saying. You know, this Chiefs defense is not exactly an offensive machine. Yet Alex Smith was very efficient, didn't turn the ball over. They ran the ball pretty well against this stout defense. I'm just saying, I mean, this defense the last couple weeks has shown a few cracks. I'm not saying it's not an impressive defense. I'm not saying it's not an elite defense. But it's shown a few cracks to allow the Broncos to be in a hole early. I think that... You know, maybe that that could be a little bit of an issue too. Again, I, I'm not saying the defense is bad. I'm just saying the last couple of weeks it has not played up to par because three weeks ago against Green Bay, it just completely destroyed an offense that at the time was clicking on all cylinders. No, that's certainly a fair point, and I can't really defend what the Broncos did against the Colts, but five turnovers in a game is definitely going to hurt your defense, and the lack of run game will also hurt it, meaning that. If you go three and out with three throws, that's not a lot of time taken off and the defense has to get back out there. So, yeah, it's definitely concerning because you're right. They, The way they looked in Green Bay, uh, if they played like that every week, uh, no matter who threw the ball, they would win because they, they just absolutely shut them down. So, yeah, it's concerning for the last couple games that the defense wasn't on par. But, again, I think, I think the the – it's all coming back to Peyton Manning and his lack of throwing and that lack of a ground game. And it's just kind of, it's a domino effect. And and that happens when you have a huge weakness, like a, a very bad offensive line where everything else associated with it starts to fall apart, fall apart, including that defense. Well, and a couple of things. First off, right after that game, you and I both said that Denver Broncos were the most impressive team in the NFL. I mean, we came onto this podcast and we both put them, I think, number one in our both of our rankings because of that defense. And we thought that they had turned things around offensively. And then the opposite happens. They go to Indianapolis and get beat by a team that's not playing that well. They get beat by a Chiefs team at home. That, again, is solid but not great. I mean, they've lost to two teams that are mid-tier. They still have to play the Bengals and the Patriots Peyton Manning's not 100%. There are some issues now with this Broncos team. It's amazing how things can turn in just two weeks. But, hey, that's the beauty of a 16-game schedule. Um, And so I think that, you know, it is all going to come back to Peyton Manning. 
But at the same time, when you're the Denver Broncos and you're putting that kind of a salary into one position, there are going to be cuts somewhere. And they have a big quarterback. They have skilled position players who are getting paid a lot. They have a lot of defensive players who are getting paid a lot. They attacked free agency at Team Tlaib, TJ Ward. You got to cut somewhere. And unfortunately, it's the offensive line and you get what you pay for. And when you have a quarterback of Peyton Manning's age, you're trying to establish the run game and you don't invest in your offensive line. This is what you get. No, absolutely. Fortunately for them, they they still command a three-game lead even after that loss in the AFC West. So uh, maybe Peyton can take some time off, heal that foot, come back, and and they can fix the run game. But as of right now, I think this is the lowest lowest point for the Broncos right now. And uh, I'm not sure if they can make it better. And I'm I'm not sure if the damage hasn't stopped yet. The bottom could continue to fall out for them so that's going to be very interesting to see but they're not the only team that has disappointed in the last few years or excuse me the last few weeks uh we also talked about the green bay packers who uh their downward spiral started with that blowout loss against the denver broncos and i think most embarrassingly has culminated in an 18 to 16 loss to the detroit lions who just have looked like been a team in shambles for the entire year you would expect Aaron Rodgers and company to uh, take care of business against the Lions only able to put up 16 points in that game Aaron Rodgers threw 61 times that's ridiculous due in part because they they also don't have a run game they only attempted 18 rushes Aaron Rodgers responsible for two of those so uh, Chris what's wrong with the Green Bay Packers is it the run game or is it a, a multitude of things well Going into Detroit, I was going to say the schedule because you play Denver and you play Carolina, both on the road, two of the best defenses in the league. I was going to give them the benefit of the doubt there, but last week, the first time Detroit has won in Green Bay since 1991, and you can't put up more than 16 points when Aaron Rodgers throws 60 times, there are big problems with this team, and I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what's changed between, you know, you play two good defenses, your offense is going to struggle. But but Detroit is awful. And I'm sorry to our family up in Michigan. They're going to agree. Detroit is awful this year. Their defense is banged up. They have no secondary. They can't stop the run. Matt Stafford is doing everything he can to try to keep this team in contention. But even he has played a little shaky. The point is, this is a team that you say, okay, we've just gotten beaten around by Denver and Carolina. Let's take out all our frustrations and put up 70. I mean, this is a game that you get back on track, not let the train go further off the rails. And I don't know what's wrong with the Packers. I I don't know what. The defense, I mean, you held the Lions to 18 points. In this day and age, that's pretty good. I mean, defenses don't stop many people anymore. I don't know what's wrong with the Packers, to tell you the truth. I have no idea why this team is struggling so much. They better fix it this week because, don't look now, the Vikings are one game ahead of them in the division. And if the Vikings win, they will have a 4-0 division record, the first head-to-head tiebreaker over Green Bay, and the Packers will be 1-2 in division. That's big. This is a big game this weekend for Green Bay. Yes, absolutely. Uh, The Vikings have quietly put together a very solid season. They're on a five-game win streak. Uh, the only concern is just uh, kind of what we thought would be a strength is, is Teddy Bridgewater and the passing attack hasn't been all together there, but they're finally learning to to rely on Adrian Peterson. And, and they, they finally remember that he was the greatest running back before suspension last year. So that's good for uh, fantasy owners like me. Uh, <laughs> but back to the Packers, I, I really do think it starts with the run game. Eddie Lacy didn't even play. He's been missing time it seems like he'll start a game then get hurt in that game and then miss another week uh he just can't be healthy and without him james stark is a good backup but i don't he's not eddie lacy and 15 attempts for 42 yards they there needs to be some kind of threat for the run game for aaron Rodgers to succeed and you thought that eddie lacy would provide that so that's definitely a concern and then i think the green bay packers defense has steadily improved over the couple past couple years but i think their corners are still a little bit uh can be exploited and we saw in that denver bronco game sam shields and quentin rollins both got hurt 
it seems like they're kind of reeling in the secondary as well. So that's two places that uh, they need to address and they need to fix uh, heading into that big game against the Vikings. Yeah, when you lose two of your corners like that, I don't know how you fix that problem. You just have to get a little bit more exotic, maybe take a few more risks. Uh, Blitzing-wise, that's tough to do when you're facing a strong running back and a mobile quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. But certainly, yeah, there's a lot There's a lot to be alarmed about in Green Bay because if they go to 6-4, and four, they will drop two games behind Minnesota, and Minnesota will have the first half of the head-to-head. But more importantly, Green Bay could only tie them in division record, which is another it's just another big thing i mean they absolutely need to take back control of this division beat minnesota and force a tie but more importantly get a leg up on them in the tiebreakers because they face again in week 17 you do not want to be down 0-1 to minnesota you'd rather have a chance to go up 2-0 and completely control the tiebreaker scenario so this is a huge game they got to get whatever's going on figured out because there's no reason for their offense to be struggling like this. And I understand Lacey, but I think James Starks is good enough to give them the balance they need. They've always been a pass-happy team. I know they need balance, but I think James Starks is good enough to provide that. They need to get whatever is going on fixed because this is a big week for them. Oh, yeah, certainly. It certainly is. Uh, we said right before we started the podcast that the theme of the NFL is kind of like a changing of the old guard because the next team we're going to talk about lost a crazy game on Sunday night football. The Seattle Seahawks took on the Arizona Cardinals and the Seahawks lost 39 to 32 in what was a ridiculous fourth quarter. You had two fumble recoveries by the Seahawks, one for a touchdown, one to the three yard line, uh, at one point the Seahawks were down 22 points in that first half. Uh, it was, it was crazy, but the, the main takeaway is that the Seahawks lost again and that they're down to four and five. The Cardinals are seven and two in firm control of that NFC West. Chris, the first question is, are the Seahawks done for the year? Done for the year in the sense that they're not going anywhere in the playoffs. Yes. Done for the year in the sense that they'll miss the playoffs. I don't know. They've, Still are two games out of the wild card, three games out of the division, but they don't have a lot of tiebreakers because they lost to Arizona. So, And they also lost to St. Louis, a team they're tied for second with in that division. So it's looking bleak for them. It's getting to the point where this second-half turnaround has to start now because we're nine games into the season. So they can't sit around and wait anymore. What's alarming to me is they're 2-2 two and two at home. Even though they've played five road games, 2-3 and three on the road, they're 2-2 two and two at home, and they lost to Arizona at home. And generally the MO for the Seahawks is they lose a big game on the road, but then they're like, okay, home cooking, and they dominate. They have not done that this year. They have not come home and dominated. And that's what I was looking for out of the Seattle Seahawks, was maybe not to dominate a team like Arizona, but to win convincingly like maybe the score is only 10 points but if you beat a team like Arizona by 10 points I think that's a convincing win and when you're at home and when you have the home field advantage that Seattle has you want to see that and it was the opposite Arizona came in there and really just beat them up until that fourth quarter when the defense kind of came to life a little bit for some turnovers but Arizona held on they ran the ball it seems like when they wanted to it seems like their offense was in sync Seattle wasn't really taking them out of the rhythm their great 12th man wasn't affecting the game that much. And Arizona went in and said, no, this is our division now. Too bad. And took it from them. And I think Seattle's done. They're not winning that division. They might make the playoffs, but I don't think they're going anywhere. Yeah, it's hard to uh, to put your money on them doing really anything in the postseason. I mean, the the fact that they're even a playoff berth is in jeopardy at this point. That As of right now, they're out of the playoff picture. So... That's definitely a concern. Uh, a big concern for me is you only rushed Marshawn Lynch eight times yes, on Sunday night. Granted, they were down a huge total by the end of the first half, but I think you could find some time to run who I still think is your best offensive player. He's been banged up throughout the year. Uh, the Jimmy Graham trade just hasn't worked out. You've sacrificed a Pro Bowl center, first-round draft pick for Jimmy Graham, and you got a really good pass catcher, but a tight end that has no interest in blocking, and you run a zone read 
option run game that requires lots of blocking. <laughs> and I don't think Jimmy Graham is really fitting in into the run game, nor are they really exploiting the the strengths of his receiving set on offense. And so that's a big concern and a big waste of talent there. And then secondly, Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman both have just been a, a step below what we expect from them from the past couple years. Uh, both of them are, are really good. Uh, Cam Chancellor had that holdout that I think set him back a little bit, but even Richard Sherman is getting beat on some deep throws, isn't playing shutdown, lockdown cornerback like we saw uh, for the past couple years. So it's definitely concerning for them. And I think this is, uh, you know, the Cardinals continue to continued to get disrespected throughout this season for not really playing anybody. I think this is a very impressive win to come in to Seattle still, even this year, still an intimidating place to play. And they against. were playing for everything. They knew their season was on the yeah. line. Yeah, absolutely. The Seahawks had a, had their back in the corner, and this is the team that has beaten you up for the past few years, and they punched them right in the gut and went up on a big lead even when you thought that the Seahawks defense was finally making a turnaround with those two fumble recoveries, they came right back and, and scored two more touchdowns to take the final lead. So very impressed with the Cardinals. And I think this is a good statement win for them going forward. And I'm very concerned for my Seattle Seahawks who were my second Super Bowl pick that <laughs> looks like to be struggling. Well, I'm going to tip my hat to the Arizona Cardinals. I hate doing this. I hate focusing on the team that loses more, even though that's what we're doing pretty much this whole podcast. But back to Seattle for a minute. The Marshawn Lynch point is a great one. A, he is banged up. Uh, so I'm not making that as an excuse. He's healthy. And he fights through it better than anyone. But the bigger problem with the only getting the eight carries was they had four drives in their first half killed by a holding or a 15-yard penalty. They were starting first and 20 or first and 25 three or four times. You can't run the ball then. I mean, when, when you start that deep in the hole, it takes the runaway. It takes the magic of Marshawn Lynch getting you into those second and shorts that sets up their play action, the game that they like to run, the misdirection stuff. That key to Seattle's offense is on first and 10, Lynch is going to get you five to seven yards. Then on second and three, third and three, they can just mess with you with all their little speedy receivers, their dynamic tight ends, their running, you know, their, their read option and stuff like that. They can do a lot of different things from those manageable down and distance. From first and 25, you can't do anything, and Seattle's not going to beat you straight passing because a lot of times they drop back to pass, it's predictable. Marshawn Lynch is going to block. He, does, he hasn't caught as much out of the backfield as he normally does. So you're essentially playing four wide receivers and Russell Wilson scrambling when you're in those long-down situations. It's a little more predictable to defend Seattle. Yeah, certainly. Russell Wilson, I give him credit because that dude is running around on every play because no threat of Marshawn Lynch and a beat-up offensive line. He's he's running for his life. And he, if, if they didn't have Russell Wilson, I think they would be – in an even worse situation than right now, but he's not the kind of quarterback that's going to dominate a team with his numbers. He needs the help of Marshawn Lynch. Absolutely. Certainly. It's not a good week for the uh, front runners, man, because Monday night football, the Texans and TJ Yates haunt the Bengals again. Bob, did you see that one coming? Especially like TJ Yates coming out of nowhere. I, I thought he was out of the league. Well, yeah, he was out of the league until they cut Ryan Mallett and brought him back in. <laughs> um, my first impression is DeAndre Hopkins is a top five wide receiver right now. Certainly. The catch that he made that was the ultimate score to, to win the game for the Texans was insane. That was fantastic. Please, that was unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> Please look that up if you haven't seen it. Um, he's great. And I feel really bad for the Bengals because they've had a great first half and one loss even to a team that I don't think is one of the better teams in the league. It's just one loss. But it happened on Monday night and Andy Dalton didn't look really good in prime time. It's coming back to haunt them. Even if you don't think it's true, that ghost is still going to haunt them going into the playoffs. Uh, I feel bad for them because I don't think this is like I don't have a lot of concerns with the Bengals like we have had with the Packers, Seahawks, or Broncos. I just think that they laid a, laid a, laid an egg. But yeah, you have to wonder. <laughs> you have to wonder. Look, here's the thing: the Cincinnati Bengals are not going to get the benefit of the doubt 
the Denver Broncos could lose two more games and people would still be saying they're going to get it together because they're the Denver Broncos. They've done it. I won't because I think that there are some big problems there, but people will. The Cincinnati Bengals have not earned the benefit of the doubt in people's mind yet. And until they win that playoff game, which I know is not fair because they're 8-1, it is super impressive to go 8-0. Anyone who thought they were going undefeated is insane. I don't even think the Patriots are going undefeated or the Panthers. We'll get to them in a minute. But the Bengals were going to lose at some point, and it was probably going to be a bit of a surprise. The Texans are not an awful bad team. They're mediocre, but their defense can get up and play. So... I'm not going to just, you know, overreact to the Cincinnati Bengals. They have had some clutch wins this year. Dalton has looked great running the two-minute drill and leading them back from behind um, in some of their other big wins this year. So I am going to give them the benefit of the doubt for this game. But in the bigger picture, Cincinnati has to make a bit of a run in the playoffs. If they can do that with Andy Dalton, they will show that they're capable of making I'm not saying they have to get to the Super Bowl. They have to make a bit of a run, win a game or two, and then people will start to say, okay, he can do it. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. But I I, I don't want to hear that the Bengals are the same old Bengals. I don't think they are. Until I'm going to at least give them the leeway until they get to the playoffs. In the playoffs, then they're going to have to show me that they can win there. But they've earned some credit by being 8-0, now 8-1. I'm gonna give him a pass. No, I, I I'm totally giving them a pass too. I just you know, it, you have to. It has to be brought up when they lose in oh, prime time, especially against the subpar team. I mean, I think the every breakout team has to deal with that, and they're kind of breaking out. I mean, they've always been a really good team. Now that they're 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 considered a front runner now, and so they have to deal with that. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, two concerns of mine. I think the Bengals' offense might have too many cooks in the kitchen. You, there's only one AJ Green though, and you need to get him the ball a lot more going forward. I know it's it's tempting to get cute with Marvin Jones, Tyler Eifert, Giovanni Bernard, Muhammad Sanu, and all, all those pass catchers that you have, but get the ball in AJ Green's hands, and then pound the ball with your two really good running backs in Bernard and Jeremy Hill, who can change the pace up probably better than any other combination in the league. So. I think that they might be getting a little too cute for their own good. Jeremy Hill's fantasy owners everywhere just said, amen to you, Bob. <laughs> I, I I do have Jeremy Hill in one league. I was more of a Bernard guy heading into this into this year, and he has had a better year. Yeah, I was split on them. I wanted to avoid them because I wasn't sure which one was going to you know, be, be play well, and I knew it would be the one I didn't pick, so I just avoided the whole thing. Very smart move as well, but Jeremy Hill was being touted as a first round pick. Yeah, that was too uh, high. Bernard, for you got kind of like in the fourth or fifth round. So, yeah. here's the thing, though: the one team is literally going to be without any luck for a, at least a week. Bad pun, <laughs> I know, but the Colts are down Andrew Luck. They had the bye week. They said two to six weeks with his abdominal injury. I'm thinking with their season on the line, they're going to try to get him back as fast as possible. But if he's out six weeks, I don't think they're winning their division. You know, that's what I thought uh, when he missed the time earlier in the year. And the Colts, I think they went 2-1 and one in that spin with Hasselbeck at quarterback. I think uh, they went 3-0 and oh and beat all three AFC South teams. I, th- I Now that you say it, I believe you're right as well. Um See, here's so, the problem, though. They don't have as many AFC South teams in the next three games. They have the Falcons, Buccaneers, and Steelers. All three have been playing at a pretty good level. The Bucks have quietly had a solid season for them. I know they're only 4-5, and five, but they've quietly been a sneaky team. Uh, unfortunately, they don't get to the AFC South for three games, so I think that's going to be a bigger problem for them. No, it certainly is. Uh they got lucky once with with coming out with a three and zero record with Hasselbeck at quarterback. I don't know if you can dip back in and try and uh, capture that lightning in a bottle again. So it's definitely concerning, but I have little faith in the other three teams in the division winning games either. I mean, they're usually the underdog heading into games. I think the Texans have lots of talent at just about every position except for quarterback. So they can certainly win some games. The Jaguars are a team that I like uh, maybe next year, but they're three and six at this point. So I think the Colts can still do it even without luck, 
but w- without him, I, I, it has to be an, an open race in the AFC South, and I'm not picking anybody. <laughs> One thing I do know is the winner of that division is going to get crushed by whoever wins the fifth wild card, the fifth seed. Yeah, I, I agree too. But, you know, last year the Panthers were had a sub-500 record. They were record playing and, a third-string quarterback. I know, I know they they lucked into it, but they won the game. So you don't know, you don't know where they'll be okay. at the end of the year and I who they'll be playing. True. And especially with the Steelers in the five spot, they've been having some quarterback issues as health wise. But I okay, you're right, you're right. But I, I'll take a blind bet on that that the AFC South moves was losing in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, if I were to put money on it right now, I, I would bet on any other team than the AFC South. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, quick ones though. Um, Panthers, you've got to consider them the overwhelming favorite to win the NFC at 9-0, two games up on the number one seed. The Vikings and Cardinals actually fighting for that number two seed, which is kind of crazy. Um, Do you see anyone in the NFC who can compete with that defense in Carolina if they get that one seed? I think the Vikings are working on it. I really do. Uh, Their defense is quietly having a really nice year. And they have a really good running back in AP. I think they have the the tools to do it. I think the Cardinals could get up as well. So I think those are the three. Obviously, they they have the three best records. But I do think the Vikings and Cardinals could challenge the Panthers in Carolina. I said I say it every time we talk about the Panthers. I don't know if Cam Newton can do this for a whole year. As of right now, I I'd say he's the MVP just for what he's done right and there. how he's done it. But can he play at this level? Just from a health standpoint, for another seven games in a playoff series, I'm not sure. But that's not going to stop uh, the predictions right now. I do think they're the best team in the NFC, yes. Cam Newton does not get enough credit as an elite quarterback. I think this year he has shown, last year he showed it, but this year especially, he is one of the five best quarterbacks in this league. And it's refreshing to see the Panthers do well. I, I kind of like the Panthers. And think about it. I mean, Kelvin Benjamin got hurt preseason. Everyone said the passing game would struggle. He's found a way. They keep finding a way. Greg Olson's having a solid year. Those other wide receivers um, having a solid year. Hey, good good, good for the Panthers. New England Patriots switching gears. They lose Julian Edelman. I don't think that's a huge injury. I think they'll need him for the playoffs. I think they can survive without him. Quietly, though, did you realize that their defense is only allowing one more point than the Broncos? I didn't I didn't realize it was playing that well. 9-0, obviously the big dogs in the AFC. But did you happen to see that game against the Giants, though? That was probably the most entertaining game of the weekend. A very intense game with two teams that, even though they play in a different conference, very much a rivalry. Certainly. I mean, whenever the Patriots are undefeated, the Giants seem to get up, and this was no different. <laughs> but it's crazy, though. Uh, it's it's happened every four years, I think. I don't think they played them undefeated in 11, but every four years it seems like they... I mean, if they meet in the Super Bowl again this year, how crazy would that be? Yeah, it's certainly a possibility with the Giants. How crazy would it be if the if the Patriots are... I'm sorry to talk over you, but 18-0 and they see the Giants again. <laughs> that would be very crazy. <laughs> I mean, that would just be insane. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Pats have had some scares. Uh, Edelman, definitely an integral part to that offense, but they always have those pass catchers. Uh, Danny Amendola just stepped right in and, and filled the role. Uh, Deion Lewis's injury is also concerning. He was definitely their p- best pass catcher, and with Edelman, Gronk, and Lewis, they had kind of a three-headed open space pass catching nightmare for teams and now they're just down to Gronk who is the guy that you want above them all but it's nicer to have all three so it'll be interesting to see how the offense holds up going forward uh and the defense has impressed you're right I would agree one of the most overlooked elements of the Patriots offense is the pass catching running back Shane Vereen Kevin Falk and Deion Lewis was doing that to the extreme this year he's having a fantastic season I don't think they can replace that as easily and now that you're without Edelman, you're down two of them. Now, Amendola certainly can fill the role. I think Brandon LaFell is a solid receiver, too, who's going to get more looks as well. But neither of them can replace that pass-catching, speedy running back out of the backfield that Bill Belichick has loved to use throughout Tom Brady's tenure. We're going all the way back to 2000 here. So I think that's a very critical loss, and I think a little bit more impactful than Amendola. Maybe not getting as much attention, even when it first happened a couple weeks back. 
I think it was it was talked about, it was up there, but I think the Amendola, I mean, I think the Edelman thing is getting a little more, people are taking a little more seriously than Deion Lewis. I, I think it should be the other way around. I, I would uh, agree with you for sure, but I think just from a numbers standpoint, Edelman is ha- was on pace to have over 100 receptions and something ridiculous like that. So both of them were having really good years. It's sad to see them sideline. Edelman could be back for the playoffs, so uh, hopefully he gets healthy for that. Kent State man too. Can't can't cheer against my Kent State guys. He played quarterback yeah. there, so pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, speaking of injuries, Tony Romo's coming back to the NFC East. Dallas Cowboys. They're sitting in the basement at two and seven, but good for them. The Giants are leading the division five and five. Chris, they have seven games to do it. Des Bryant's back. Romo's coming back. Can they make a run? They better flip that streak they just went on. There better be a W7 because if they don't win seven, they're not getting in. I'm sorry. I don't think that they're going to make it at eight and eight. I don't think that they're going to go six and one even. I think that they maybe get to seven and nine at best. I'm not, you know, discounting them, but I think they've dug too big of a hole. And this year, Tony Romo has earned the right to never be hated on again because they lost him. They were looking solid. They went 0 and seven without him. Enough of this already. I understand he hasn't won the big one, but he's a darn good quarterback. He's better than anything Dallas has had, and he has been the reason they've had so much success over the last decade. And I understand they haven't had a lot of playoff success, but they've won a lot of games, and they've been to the playoffs multiple times. So Tony Romo is finally showing everyone that, hey, look, stop piling on me, man. This team stinks without me. No, absolutely. I think if they had just won one of those games in the seven-game losing streak, they would be in a much better situation. But to ask Roma to just come back in and, and win seven straight down the stretch, that's, that's asking a lot. I don't think they're going to do it. I think they're going to be on the outside looking in. Yeah, you're asking the impossible pretty much, unless the Giants lose a ton. Unless just chaos breaks out and some 7-9 team gets in as the NFC East champion. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Giants are playing well enough to to handle their business, at least whether or not they'll hold off Washington and Philadelphia remains to be seen that's another bad division too that's an underrated bad division because the AFC South's getting so much credit yeah yeah I I think it's just surprised people how bad it's been how underwhelming and disappointing the Cowboys I mean their injuries are understandable uh the AFC South doesn't have excuses of injuries but yeah they're very bad right well talked enough professional let's switch gears to what has become an insane college football season. A lot of contenders have bowed out already. LSU was number two a couple weeks ago. They've dropped significantly in the Associated Press poll, all the way down to 17 after back-to-back losses. Stanford lost. Utah lost. A lot of teams dropping like flies. Houston almost lost to Memphis, came back. They're still 10-0. North Carolina quietly at 9-1. Baylor lost 8-1. Michigan State lost, so they're 9-1, nine, nine and one, but they could still get into the Big Ten title game if they win out. Three big unbeatens, or four big unbeatens left, excuse me, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma State, and Iowa, and all of them struggled. Ohio State didn't. Ohio State handled its business, but Clemson and Oklahoma State kind of struggled a little bit. Bob, how has the college football picture changed for you in this last weekend? Well, I have never been sold on the Big 12. I wasn't in the preseason. Uh, one of the few things I predicted accurately is that the big, or one that, no, never mind. Cancel that. <laughs> I predicted that I was gonna say that the Big Twelve is not gonna have a representative in in the college football playoff, and that operation is going through right now with Baylor losing this past week, with TCU losing two weeks ago. We're just down to Oklahoma State as the lone unbeaten in the Big 12. They're going down for a, a showdown at Oklahoma. They still have to play at, uh, Baylor as well. So that is taking shape. Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama, even with Clemson looking, finally showing some weakness, uh, they're on the road. One game, I, I, I will wait and see. If, if they continue to struggle, then I'll be concerned. But those three look like the top three teams for sure. It's going to be a big logjam for for number four right now unless those top three teams start to lose. Notre Dame has impressed of late ever since that loss to the number one team, Clemson. Iowa's still undefeated. Oklahoma State's there. 
it's going to be interesting to see. It's all coming down for a huge finish, and I'm excited for it. I actually don't think it's going to be that big of a log jam. I think it's going to be quite simple. It's going to come down to the Big 12 champ versus Notre Dame. You look at all the teams in the running. Yeah, Florida's there, but they got to play Alabama in the SEC title game. That's going to solve itself. Michigan State's there, but if they lose to Ohio State, goodbye. I was there, but if they lose to anyone, goodbye, because their schedule is extremely weak. So I don't think it's as quite as jam-packed up there. A couple intrigues, though. North Carolina at 12 in the AP poll. What if they upset Clemson in the ACC title game? That would be interesting. Houston at 10-0. and 0. If they roll through the American and beat some of these ranked teams, and, and they've beaten Memphis, if they were to beat Temple, who got crushed by South Florida, which is bad for the yeah, American. Yeah, that's not a good look. That's not good for the American. But if they would have played Temple in the American title game, if they were to win out, how do you treat a 13-0 Houston team who has played some good teams? They've, they've played some good American teams that were ranked. Navy's ranked. They'll have to play them. They've played Memphis. If Houston wins out, how do you weigh that? I don't think it would get in over a one-loss team, but say Notre Dame loses. Say there's no undefeated team out of the Big 12. Do you give Houston a shot? Yeah, that's that's hard to... Uh... That's hard to predict because there are, there would be so many losses that would have to happen, and I think a lot of teams would have to lose more. Notre Dame, a one loss Big Twelve team, I think that they would that would for sure trump uh, what Houston has done. This weekend, though, we started to have some big games on the slate. The Big Twelve is going to be a bloodbath. Baylor at Oklahoma State, TCU at Oklahoma. I feel like every week we're going to have at least one big Big Twelve game. Memphis takes on Temple. I think Temple really needs to win that game for the Americans' sake because they need a strong title game. And then the one that the Big Ten fans have been waiting for, Michigan State versus Ohio State. Bob, what are you watching this weekend? I'm definitely watching Michigan State OSU. Uh, this this is the first test for Ohio State. It's been a, a long season so far and we haven't seen OSU go up against a quality opponent yet. So I have to be tuned in there first to see uh, exactly how they respond to what is a, still a very good Michigan state team, unless Connor cook does not play. If he doesn't play, I, I'm tuned. I'm, I'm flipping over to the big 12 because uh, cook is that Michigan state offense without him. I don't think they will offer much of a resistance to OSU. So uh, that'll be interesting. So I'm looking for Cook's injury, and then I'll flip over the Big Twelve and see see watch some point scoring because I, I'm assuming that the Big Ten game is going to be low scoring. Big Twelve games tend to be high scoring, and that's always fun to watch. Bob, you grew up in Ohio. You know Big Twelve, Big Ten games are generally low scoring. Come on, man. But yeah, I would agree. Ohio State hasn't played really anyone. The biggest team on their schedule, I'd probably say, is Penn State who is quietly having a really strong year, but I wouldn't say it's elite competition. Um, they're certainly going to be tested in the next two, probably three weeks. I mean, Iowa just has to beat a couple cupcakes to get that Big Ten West. And then, of course, the two Michigan teams back-to-back. they got to play Michigan in Ann Arbor. So this is their last home game this weekend against Michigan State, and then they got to go to Ann Arbor for the big rivalry game, which we all know Michigan's going to be fired up about. Michigan has to get through Penn State this week, so that'll be interesting. But... Yeah, I think the next three weeks, if it is Iowa, and especially if it's an undefeated, motivated Iowa, next three weeks are going to be very challenging for Ohio State. And if they win, they'll have earned their stripes and and finally have proven that you know they can beat some quality, some high quality opponents. I think Penn State was a solid opponent, but again, like you said, not elite competition. I think the next three games will be against elite top twenty to top fifteen, arguably even top ten competition. Yeah, absolutely. We will see what they're made of, just like we're seeing the Big 12, what they're made of. Uh, kudos to the Big 12 for, for waiting to the end to schedule all these big games. Uh, I do like how that's worked out for them, even though it's made the, the first half of their schedule incredibly weak. But I, I like that we're getting big matchups every week from the Big 12 now. Well, I think TCU and Baylor is a rivalry the Big 12 really wants to develop because uh, Baylor has kind of been the forgotten Texas team. You know, you always had... Texas and Texas A&M and Texas Tech, but Baylor's always been kind of the forgotten one, and I think that they really want to pair them off with 
TCU and have that rivalry flourish because it's a natural one. And then you also have, of course, Oklahoma. Oklahoma State is a perfect rivalry to stack at the end of the season. So I, I think that they're, they're smart in doing things that way. Uh, even though Oklahoma-Texas is probably a bigger rivalry, they traditionally have always played the first game of the conference season. They like to play their game in October in the Cotton Bowl. It's more of their tradition. But I, I think that these are some natural rivalries that can start brewing. And for TCU to come in and kind of get Baylor as a natural rival, I think will be fun for that league for the long term. So they're very that, that's very smart of them to brand this this way. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. I, I got to say it, though. I don't want to be an Ohio State homer, but I do think Ezekiel Elliott should at least be a Heisman finalist, and if not, the winner. I know he's not as flashy as some of these other running backs, man, but the guy just always runs for 100 yards, and it's been the constant driving force behind a team that hasn't lost in a very long time. If you're talking about the antithesis of, of flashy, you got to look at Derrick Henry, though. <laughs> And what he's done, I definitely think Elliot deserves to be invited. I think Henry deserves to be invited. I don't think Leonard Fournette has a chance. And I think depending how Deshaun Watson plays for the rest of the year for Clemson, he's probably going to get invited, and he might start emerging as the front runner because the first half of the season they weren't running him much because he was coming back from an ACL tear. The past two games or three games, I think he's run as many times as he has in those previous seven games. So look to see Deshaun Watson put up a lot more numbers and maybe make this Heisman race uh, a little bit more interesting than just Elliott versus Henry and Fournette. It's certainly going to be an interesting one. I think it's going to be a very tight vote too. I don't necessarily think there's a clear front runner for the Heisman. Usually one has emerged by now. I don't think there's a clear front runner. I think there's about three or four guys who could win it I think Fournette is a distant fourth now, but I think all three of those guys could win it. I could see all of them getting enough votes. So I think it's going to be one of the closer votes in recent memory, which could make it exciting the next few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they, they all have some marquee matchups heading forward. So let's see how how exactly they respond in those big games. And that, of course, is going to help decide it because I think that's what's killing Fournette right now. He His worst game came on the biggest stage. I think that's going to hold him back. If a guy like Ezekiel Elliott plays big against Michigan State, Michigan, and then rolls wild in the Big Ten title game like he did last year, he may cement it. Same is true for the other guys, too, because they're going to have similar opportunities if they can lead their uh, teams to a conference championship game. So plenty of plenty of football left and plenty of big football left for these guys to really step up and uh, take control of the race. Yeah, absolutely. And Fournette had a, had a uh, mediocre game against the loss to Arkansas as well. So his Heisman... Hopes are slipping away very quickly. He was the front runner just two weeks ago. Yeah, uh, we were just talking about the Broncos and the Packers. Football changes fast, man. It is a one second you're on top of the world, the next second you're two straight losses, and everyone's piling up on you. So it's uh, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we are not MMA fans, but if you don't know the name Holly Holm, you probably have heard of her by now. Ronda Rousey went down in the second round, a monster kick to the face, took her out. She was 12-0 going in. She had defended her belt seven times before, six under UFC, one at strike force. Bob, I mean, I know you know you and I don't watch MMA that much, but this is a pretty big deal. I mean, Ronda Rousey's the one of the few MMA fighters I actually knew and kind of followed. Her, her not getting knocked out, especially after being so dominant, it's a huge deal. Yeah, uh, it's certainly surprising. Uh, Holly Holm was undefeated as well, though, if if my memory serves me correctly. Yeah, she's 10-0 now. Um, and she used to so, be a boxer. Yeah, so she is a quality opponent. Uh, I don't understand the hype with Ronda Rousey. I, I've never understood it. And I kind of, I kind of chuckled when I saw that she went down after after all this hype about her being the greatest MMA sensation right now. She laid a big egg and talked a lot of trash beforehand about how it wasn't going to be much of a fight. She laid a big egg, so uh, I guess I, I was kind of happy with the result. I, I think most people were in your boat too, but just to put some context, the last three fights, first round. Last one, 34 seconds. Last before that, 14 seconds, 16 seconds. 
minute and six. And these are title defenses, so this is the best contender. And she's just making them look silly. I think that's why she's been so big. She has been very dominant in her uh, reign as the UFC bantamweight champion. I hope I said that See, I'm, that's right. I, I'm not saying I'm an expert in other sports, but MMA I'm, I'm completely clueless on. So I didn't even know that she was that that uh decisive in her victories so that's really impressive so that makes it even more shocking that uh holly holm knocked her out relatively quickly yeah holly holm was a 33 and 2 and 3 boxer so she had a very strong boxing career she's been around for a while she's actually 34 years old uh you know a few about what five years older than ronda rousey i think rousey's uh 28 no excuse me six seven years older than ronda rousey wow so Oh, no, six, excuse me, 34, 28. Yeah, there we go. Um, you got it. But anyway, uh, the point is, I mean, it, it is a little surprising. Even though Holly Holm has had a very impressive fighting career, 10-0 and 0 in MMA and UFC, but she, I, I don't know, I don't think a lot of people saw this coming. I think maybe they, they didn't think it would be as decisive as some of Ronda's other knockouts and wins, but I don't think many people thought she was going to lose this fight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, but as we said, we, we don't follow MMA very closely, but I still think that's a very big upset. Um, congratulations to Holly Holm, and uh, I'm sure Ronda Rousey isn't going anywhere anytime soon. She's still 12-1, and one, and I have a feeling of rematches in the cards because they love those pay-per-view rematches, and I'm sure a lot of money will be made. So wouldn't surprise me to see a revenge match or something along those lines. But for now... We have to stop because we're out of time. But thank you for listening to What Are You Talking About? Presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. Please follow us on Twitter, FenleyRDSports. Follow us on Instagram, FenleyROADSports. Come back to the website for more content. Support our podcast by subscribing on iTunes. And please give us a good rating while you're at it. And come back for more. Subscribe, listen, and enjoy. So thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your day. And we'll be back next week. All right, I'll talk to you soon, Chris. Take care, Bob.